sorry, some technical difficulties this evening. Good evening. Welcome to Evening Dhamma. So tonight we are looking at the third section of the Sabhasava Sutta. Patisevana Patisevana means means using making use of and so again these uh, these sections are not directly relating to our meditation practice necessarily, but um, are are still important as a support for our practice. So Patisevana is referring to making use of requisites with the acknowledgement that Practically speaking, for our practice to succeed, we need to make use of uh, material possessions. And so there's this curious sort of dichotomy that we're stuck in, where on the one hand we want to see everything as just experiences, but on the other hand, we clearly have to deal with concepts, with things, with entities, food, shelter, clothing, uh, medicine. Food, and put them in order, clothing, food, shelter, and medicine. These are the four requisites. The first thing is to get clear about this distinction and to make clear in our minds what is requisite, what is necessary. Now, the Buddha laid out these four things, but they really weren't all that was necessary even for monks, even in the time of the Buddha. And so in the time of the Buddha, the monks would make use of various things Needles, for example, uh, water, water containers, razor blades, chairs, tables, I think. I'm not sure about tables, probably, but I don't know that it mentions them. Uh, even fans, you know, fans are useful for doing away with mosquitoes, towels, for example. Lots of different things. But this is a key key um, topic, I guess. The understanding of what's necessary, what what we need 
and what we just like or want. even down to the point of what makes us comfortable right so on the extreme we have all sorts of indulgences let's say drugs let's look at drugs that's there's an extreme for you for some people drugs like cocaine or heroin seem very necessary but they're not necessary right and does a drug addict need heroin? It's a good question. And it's a good question because it, it glaringly shows us the difference. It shows us a very coarse uh, example of, of want and like rather than need. The drug addict is not going to die without heroin, but it's incredibly unpleasant, of course, to go without. I think that sets a good uh, baseline or, or it, it neatly demarcates the line between uh, like and need. We need food, for example. Food isn't just something we like. No question there. If you don't get food... Um, I mean, there is a question, of course, because... If you don't get the food, you'll just die. But so, so there's there's um, a question of need for what, right? And practically speaking, again, it shows that generally we're not we're not strict about our our adherence to ultimate reality. We can't be. You can say, okay, ultimate reality is It's just an experience If I die of hunger Well, that's a part of my meditation practice But practically speaking, that's foolish For most people It's foolish because you'll die Before you, before you really realize that Yes, it may be true that Reality is just experience But until you realize that You have to be very careful You have to be careful to Protect your meditation practice And I think that points to something very important For those practicing at home That uh, there, there are many complications in life That you have to deal with You know, having a job, livelihood um, Relationships, social Social uh, norms and necessity and that's the word Social responsibilities and expectations That it won't do for us to, to, to discard and to ignore Yes, ultimately relationships and so on are, are all meaningless But like if you don't cut your lawn People complain If you don't shave your beard People... Well, depends. It's a bad example, perhaps. But if you don't wash your clothes, let's say there's a good example. If you don't shower, if you don't shower and then you get on the bus, well, you can say, yeah, it's just smell. But practically speaking, there will be problems, right? Yes, if you're enlightened and you don't have any attachment, 
funny thing is, enlightened beings quite clearly do adhere to social norms and concern themselves with the practicalities of life. You know, it's just practical, just reasonable. So, so this dichotomy of of understanding the building blocks, but living in living as a human in in concepts, right? People, places, things. So that's what Patisevana is about. It's about making use of things and understanding what we need. And what we need isn't just to stay alive. What we need is is to maintain our practice. So so let's be clear, it's yes, it's more than just staying alive, it's more than just the bare minimum. But it should never go beyond uh, what is supportive of our practice what is supportive of goodness supportive of happiness and happiness being something very different from pleasure a drug addict will tell you yes I need the drugs to be happy but it's not true drugs don't actually lead to happiness they lead to pleasure which is something very different from happiness I mean, clearly, because it, it makes them miserable. Entertainment. Entertainment is another one. You know. Entertainment's very easy to get caught up. Something that's clearly not of any, of any use, right? For the entertainment side of it. Sure, you could watch a movie and you could learn something from it. There could be educational value. I think that's important to recognize. But you're just watching something for entertainment value. That's not necessary or useful. It's actually detrimental, right? And so there are many things in life that are... Um, clearly not at all necessary and that's where we draw the line hopefully I mean reasonably it's we're not likely to draw the line anywhere near that but the closer we can get the better right I mean speaking of people living in the world there, there's a lot that we have that is for our pleasure and for comfort people who have nice comfy well, televisions, let's say, uh, stereo systems. There's a lot of things that are just for pleasure, just for entertainment. Uh, coffee, maybe. No, coffee's complicated. Um, junk food. But there we get... Okay, so, so certain things that are clearly just for pleasure, but uh, then there is the things that are necessary, and it's a matter of using, and this is what the Buddha is really talking about here, using those things that are necessary for the right reasons and in the right way. Using those things that are necessary for the right reasons and in the right way, which means just because something is necessary, you know, supportive of your practice, uh, theoretically, doesn't mean you're using it that way. 
take uh, clothing for example clothing is necessary at the very base of it's necessary because well, if you don't wear it you're naked and um, practically speaking that's a problem it's a problem, it's a distraction you can't walk around in the world naked not in this day and age and it's a problem because of you know, the suffering that comes as well it's a distraction very hard to meditate when you're having flies all over your body and bugs and heat and cold and so on and you're cold because you're naked and yeah, clothes are, are a useful support for the practice but of course we use clothes for so much more we use them to look beautiful, to look handsome to look attractive to look cool, to feel good about ourselves and so on We use clothes to make us feel happy. We like buying and wearing, and or we don't like. We get obsessed with clothes and worried about clothes. Or food. Food is a maybe an even clearer one. Mostly we don't. Well, a lot of the times, as a people, as a race, a human race. We don't uh, we don't use food for the right reasons, right? We eat too much. We eat the wrong things, and quite clearly, this is a problem. Food, food is it's a huge problem. So many ways, it's a problem for our physical health. It's a problem for our mental health. It's a problem for the environment, for our environmental health. Our use of food is probably one of the biggest problems that we have. All around, food is, is practically speaking, you know, not, not looking at deep meditation teachings. Practically speaking, food is, is uh, one if not the worst, biggest problem we have. It's a problem for the environment. We're destroying the environment mainly, maybe not mainly, but one of the biggest ways in which we're destroying the environment is, is through food. We, uh, well, consumption, the things we want to consume, and we're cutting down the rainforests to grow cows, to raise cattle, and that kind of thing. Our misuse of resources. I suppose food isn't the biggest reason, but it is a environmental problem because we're not satisfied with simple, uh, simple food. It's a problem physically because you know, this is one of the biggest problems we have physically is food. The, the sicknesses that come from food, overeating and eating the wrong foods, makes us physically quite sick. But of course, the big concern of the Buddha is mentally. 
you know, and food is huge, mental. It's a huge problem for us mentally. We obsess over food, we live to eat. Eat to live, don't live to eat. We live to eat and, and it's a distraction, it's a way of distracting ourselves from our problems, avoiding dealing with them. It's a way of avoiding the questions of life. It's a distraction from what's important. If you just keep eating, you another one of our drug habits makes us feel pleasure pleased, makes us feel all warm and happy inside for a while and prevents us from really dealing with the dealing with ourselves dealing with our minds and this is what meditators what you can see in the meditation course you feel hungry in the evening, you crave for this kind of food or that kind of food thinking about what you're going to eat in the morning, that kind of thing. And you can see how much stress and suffering comes from it. How much of an attachment it is. And how, how valuable it is really to, to deal with these things, to, to cut back and to learn to use the requisites for what they're, they're meant. And, it's like peeling back the layers and seeing what's underneath. You get to see how your mind works. You don't get to see that if you're always indulging. If you want to know, and this is why we come to meditate, if you want to know what's causing you suffering, you have to peel it back and look. And that requires objectivity. It requires you to stop indulging in greed and anger, liking and disliking. It requires you to look. requires you to requires you to to detox to take yourself out of your comfort zone and that's what you see right as you meditate you see how your mind works the good and the bad uh, with shelter shelter is one of the big requisites it's very important Shelter means uh, many things. Asenasana means the room that we live in, the building that we live in. It means the bed that we sleep on. It also means this the seat that we sit on. And this is something that I thought of. Uh, here's a good example. The seat, the meditator's cushion. What is the meditator's cushion for? Why do we have a cushion? It's a good question, right? Is there a problem sitting on the bare concrete? What happens when you sit on bare concrete? Well, yeah, that's probably overly distracting and, and potentially harmful to the body. So, sitting on a cushion makes sense. But that's the question, is how how far are we going to go? Are we, are we really trying to sit without pain? Not, not that pain is necessary to meditate, obviously, but is the purpose of the seat to free ourselves from pain? And the, I think the answer really is no. Yes, sitting on bare concrete is 
not good for the body I think and it's uh, overly painful but besides that it's not good so sitting on something soft is nice but sitting on the carpet is soft enough right it's these questions that we ask ourselves what is really necessary in the beginning of course a meditator needs a lot of support sitting a new meditator someone who's not comfortable sitting cross-legged they need a lot of support maybe even to sit in a chair some people but they don't need that and this is part of the challenge of being a meditator is to be able to dis discern differentiate what I need and what I just want and like yes I don't like sitting on the carpet but I don't need to sit on a comfortable cushion and so on a lot of western meditators make this mistake and they have all these elaborate ways of sitting and special sitting cushions and so on and in the beginning that's all fine but the question is what do you need and you don't need any of it so you can look at it as a goal food is you know food is an example of that we eat a lot how much food do you need? We we have very comfortable houses and, and dwellings. We have nice beds. I always tell my students one of the first things that goes whenever I move somewhere is the bed. What a useless instrument. I sleep on the carpet, actually. And, uh, you know, if you become accustomed to it, it's... Well, your room gets bigger. You save a lot of space in your room, really. You don't need this big, bulky thing. You don't need it. It's a challenge in many ways. Food, shelter, clothing, medicine. You know, how quick we are to use medicine. The Buddha included medicine as one of those things. It's one of those things that we should reflect upon. Why are we using the medicine? Do we need it? There's a lot of medicine we do need to support our practice But painkillers may not be one of them Yeah, it may be an extreme pain It'll be overly distracting and drive you crazy But for the most part, painkillers are just Something we like, something we want Because we don't like the opposite And again, meditation is about taking us out of our comfort zone So the Buddha had monks reflect on the requisites daily. He said every day we should reflect, and then there's reflecting before you use it, reflecting after you use them. And so monks nowadays tend to ch do chanting. Uh, at my monastery we do this chanting in morning and evening, and, and right before we eat we chant, which is good. But Mahasi Sayadaw had something to say about that. He said, you know, it's not it's not really the point it was meant just as an example the true reflection isn't chanting reflection is when you use as you're using it when you use the robe why are you using the robe do you ever think about that and so this is a, a practice it's not meditation but it's a practice of sitting back and saying hey why am I using this yeah I'm using this to uh, I'm using this to, to stay warm or to stay cool or to, to stay not naked 
Why am I using this food? Well, to stay alive so I can continue meditating. It makes you very mindful and it sobers you up and it's, it's quite eye-opening. New way of living our lives. Things we take for granted, using them, seeing them in a new light. But he also says, Mahasi says something that I think is very important and that's um, you don't have to reflect conceptually. That he, he, I think it's the commentators, commentaries that say, or maybe even the Buddha, that um, uh, reflection can be through meditation. And so we do another chant, which is yatha pajjayang pavatamanang datumatamewetangyatidangjivarang, which I won't translate, but it's quite an it's quite a a, a, a good chant that we do quite uh, in line with meditation this uh, this thing we call the robes the, the clothes uh, the 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 robe itself and the person using the robe are just elements there's no person who uses the robe there's no me no mind no self and uh, he says that, that that's really what happens when you practice meditation. When you use the robe mindfully, you put on your clothes mindfully, you are reflecting in a way that's totally in line with the Buddha's teaching, obviously. You don't need to reflect, I'm using this to, so that I can not be naked and using this to ward off cold and heat. You're using it mindful, mindfully, lifting, placing, feeling. When you eat your food, chewing, chewing, swallowing. It's um, not seeing them as me, I'm eating, and self, and so on. Not seeing them as entities, as things, but as experiences. And in, and Mahasisayadas points out that you know that's a valid reflection. So in the use of the requisites, it, it again, it, it ultimately comes down to mindfulness. If you really can be mindful, you don't need any of any of this. Because your reflection is done for you. You are being mind. You are reflecting wisely as you use the the requisites. So, anyway, that's quite a bit about something quite simple, and that's remembering things that we use because they will have an effect positively or negatively on, on our practice. Okay, so that's the Dhamma for tonight. And we can look at the questions. When I am sleeping and start dreaming, I am unable to be mindful and dream. When I start seeing things which anger me, yeah. Well, um, yeah, there's not much you can do about that except keep meditating and as you meditate more your dreams will become more uh, less you know there'll be less reaction in your dreams because you're no, no longer as reactionary and your dreams will be less your mind is more efficient so you'll sleep better is ditti upadana only occur with micca ditti or is it possible for someone to have clinging towards samma ditti
No. No, it's Mitsa Diti. Titu Padana. Hmm. No, I guess you're right. I guess that's a good point. It probably can. I mean, I don't know. These questions you ask, are they really important? Is it possible to have clinging towards... Okay, so is it possible to have clinging towards samaditi? Yes, of course. You can cling to right view. You can be proud of it. You can... Um, you can cling to it without knowing it, right? A person who doesn't ha know the truth but hears it can say, yes, yes, there is rebirth and they can go around uh, proclaiming it. They can wish for it to be true. Boy, I hope I'm reborn. I hope there is an afterlife. I hope I don't die. I'm not annihilated when I die. That kind of thing. Could you please explain the difference between jitta and satipanya? Well, sati and panya are two jetasika, their mind, and their mental concomitants, their aspects of mind. Jitta means mind. So jitta contains qualities, and sati is a quality, panya is a quality in, in some mind. If consciously send mind to a single breath, single would it still help to strengthen the faculty of sati or is it long hours or only count no every moment counts but it has to be habitual why why long hours are good is because it becomes habitual as you do it again and again but see the thing is it's not about the hours it's about how many times you're Consciously sending the mind to the object Consciously, not just sending the mind to the object But seeing the object clearly As you can do that better It uh, becomes habitual So yes, you absolutely can And should strengthen sati Through daily practice Not just in uh, formal practice But if you're not doing formal practice It's quite difficult Because you're developing all sorts of other habits And Formal meditation forces you to focus on good habits. Can the foundation course be taken more than once? Yeah, potentially. We like um, for people who have taken the foundation course to move on to the review course, which is a review of the foundation course, right? But it's um, it's a little more than that. If you've successfully and, and done well in the foundation course, there should be no reason to retake it. You should just do the streamlined advanced course. Is facing our fears a good thing to do for the practice? Could it make you more mindful? Well, you should face your fears mindfully. Yeah, I think facing your fears. I mean, part mindfulness, one aspect of mindfulness is we uh, say abhimukha abhimukha which means facing facing your your experiences so it's an aspect of mindfulness now if you're not being mindful but you're just like putting yourself in the presence of things that make you afraid I guess it's um, it's debatable right because if you do that you might just be reinforcing the fear I don't know I don't think that's 
incredibly valid. But I mean, the thing is, if you're not mindful, there's not much I can say. It's not good anyway. So you're just developing the habit of putting yourself in situations that trigger reactions if you're not being mindful. So yes, okay, in an abstract sense that can help you, um, potentially. But, you know, if you're not being mindful, it's not going to get that far. But absolutely, if you're being mindful, put yourself in... Put yourself in the... You know, okay, here's the problem with that. If you're consciously putting yourself in in the presence of things that cause reactions, then you're you're artificially creating you're creating this habit of artificial artificially uh, contriving situations, right? And that in general is not such a good thing. So we don't we don't encourage facing in the sense of hey, I'll go and find a spider if I'm afraid of spiders. It's not really necessary, it's not a very good habit because it becomes habitual, it, it, it taints your mindfulness the, the um, sort of objective, let things, let the chips fall as they may, right? If you start to contrive, then you're kind of trying to control, you see So going out of your way to find a spider is, it's not a big problem But in general, that's not the best attitude to have so, no, not really facing your fears in the sense of going out of your way to find them. Yes, facing your fears is, is great, that's mindfulness, but going out of your way to find the things that make you afraid, probably not a good idea in the long term, even if you are being mindful. What's the best way to practice self-love? It's interesting, you know, the commentaries are not very keen on self-love <laughs> And I think with good reason, because it becomes egotistical or it can feed the ego um, So the problem is getting rid of self-hatred You don't need self-love to get rid of self-hatred And that's an important point People think, you know, I don't like myself, i got to learn to love myself Well, no, not really you don't like yourself, you've got to learn to let go of the disliking Because if you love yourself It feeds ego In a way that loving other people doesn't Think you know, I'm trying to understand The commentary says it's, it's not really fruitful to love yourself In the same way as it's fruitful to love someone else And it makes sense because loving other people Is about Altruism, it's about letting go of self, right? It's about um, getting a healthy state of mind in terms of relationships, and it's about expanding our minds. But self love, I don't know, there's a lot of people talking positively about it, and I'd caution being too concerned with self love guilt and self-hatred you know, work them out I don't think I don't think you have to worry too much about it commentaries certainly don't seem to think so I would say we put too much emphasis on self-love when it's not really the point of love and metta the point of metta is to relate to other beings you don't worry about compassion and love and 
I know there's a lot of Buddhist teachers who are very clear that you should, but commentaries and well, I, I mean, I don't subscribe too much to the whole self-love, self-compassion thing, which is probably going to get me some downvotes and comments. But okay, I'm happy to have debate. Okay, wait, there's more to this. I would like to be a source of joy and goodness to others. Most of the time I am a grumpy, closed-off man. Hmm. Right, well, that's what love and compassion to others is. You don't need self-love for that. If you're a grump and a closed-off man... I mean, some of being a grump and a closed-off man is not bad. Some of it is based on wisdom and and minding your own business, right? Some people are too much in other people's business. And that's a big problem in the world. Is that we're too... I don't know, you fi I found it a big problem in Asia, in some countries in Asia, where everyone is so concerned about everyone else and always in your face and in your business. I don't think that's that healthy. Um, I don't think that's a part of... I think that's a part of culture, Asian culture. It's one that I was never comfortable with. Um... Having said that, I mean, there's a lot that is love and compassion and 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 uh, consideration for others, but there is a part of it that becomes very obsessive, right? Mothers and parents, mothers and, no, not just mothers, parents can become incredibly obsessive about their children. So being closed off and, and even grumpy to some extent, it's not a bad thing. To some extent, it's not a bad thing. You just have to look and see, am I angry or are people just expecting things of me? Which is their problem, really. Expectations are a cause for suffering, not people who don't live up to your expectations. The people who don't live up to your expectations aren't the problem. But to be a source, you wanting to be a source of joy, okay, so there's a stress and there's a, a certain attachment, don't do that don't want to be a source of joy and goodness to others but um, having an understanding of how um, goodness leads to happiness and how happiness is a good thing is a good thing so that being said if you're concerned that you have lots of defilements that are causing other people stress and suffering well there are different ways to deal with that of course mindfulness is the best way but metta and, and karuna compassion are are two very good ways as well but you have them for others you know just wanting in fact just wanting to be a source of happiness to others is a kind of a metta so cultivate that at the same time cultivate mindfulness and that will be great support for your metta practice alright so we've gone through all of them That's the questions for tonight. Thank you all for tuning in. Have a good night.